to thank you for David. I thank you for his life. I thank you for the gift you've planted within him, the teaching gift, Lord. And we want to pray today, Holy Spirit, that you use this in your power, in your might. And Lord, I want to say that my heart is open. I'm wide open, Lord, ready, um, kind of like fresh soil. Plant your seed, Lord, the seed of your word in my heart, I pray today. And um, Lord, I'm ready to respond to what it is you have for me. And so we commit our brother to you today, and we bless him in Jesus' name. talk about love I'm not I'm not the most loving uh, individual I really struggle with love and I'm gonna just come out with a confession this morning is I am envious of skinny people thin guys if you're one of these guys that can rock Nike high high tops and some skinny jeans I want you to know right out of box I'm full of envy I got up this morning and I spent 30 minutes ironing my shirt I look like I slept in it all night. <laughs> so I just want to keep it real. I'm going to be talking about love, but deep down inside, there's a little bit of jealousy and envy in my heart this morning. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through, six, uh, 1 through 10. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to be reading... From Eugene Peterson's The Message. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you are badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Be very sure now, you who have been trained to self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into a generous common life with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds, but the one who plants in response to God, letting the God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life eternal life. 
So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in a community of faith. Today's church really is a sports arena. And today's gods are really the franchise player. Many of us today, I'm a sports, uh, not a fanatic, but I like sports. So I like the franchise player. I like the idea of a LeBron James. I'm not a Yankee fan, but I like Derek Jeter. I think about Messi in the soccer world. We can go on and on and on and talk about the franchise player, the key individual on the team that gets it done. But we all know that championships are not won by a one-man team. We all know that championships require a team effort. And if you want to wear the ring at the end of the day, you just got to work together as a team. One particular franchise player was Carl Malone. Just rewinding a little bit in the NBA, but he was the franchise player for the Utah Jazz. And his nickname was the mailman because he could just simply deliver the goods. You could count on Carl Malone just coming through. But Carl Malone had played year after year after year with the Utah Jazz and had never had the opportunity to play for the championship. So his very last year in his career, he opted to be traded to the L.A. Lakers. So he hooked up with Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. This was the dream team. This was the lock. This was the team that was going to wear the ring at the end of the season. And they did pretty good, and they actually entered into the playoffs, but they got beat by the Detroit Pistons. No franchise players, no stars, just a team, a group of guys that got together, played well together, and they beat the L.A. Lakers. The L.A. Lakers broke down. There was infighting. There was criticism. There was judging. They were out in the public pointing a finger, blaming uh, one another, and the whole team fell apart. And we know that Kobe Bryant stayed. Shaquille O'Neal got traded to the Miami Heat. And Carl Malone, well, he retired without a ring. See, there was a crisis in the church of Galatia, and Paul knew that. Paul knew that the church in Galatia was becoming filled with your franchise players. It was being filled with the religious elite. It was being filled with the guys that had the education and the knowledge and the know-how, and they could share the law with the common folk of the day. The problem was, is crises was breaking out in this church. There was a lack of love. There was a lot of criticism. They were judging one another. They were harsh to one another. And in fact, they lacked love for one another. And this is why Paul had to write the sixth chapter in the book of Galatians. It's because, quite simply, there was just a lack of love and concern for the well-being of others in this early church. And so this morning, I just want us to walk through this passage of Scripture, and I want to share three points, with time permitting, regarding what Paul has to say to this church in Galatia regarding love. First of all, he tells us in verses 1 through 3 that love is a choice to take action. Love is a choice to take action. Stoop down. Reach out to those who are oppressed. Carry each other's burdens. Love's a choice. 
It's one thing to walk by and you see somebody that's really struggling. You know they're in a difficult patch in life. They're being challenged or hard-pressed on every side. And we walk by kind of at a distance. And we know they're going through a challenging time. And we're concerned. But are we concerned enough to take a step or two and get close to them? Are we concerned enough to do what Paul is asking us to do? And that is to stoop down and reach out and get our hands and get our hearts dirty when we get involved with the individuals that God places around us. Whether it's in the church, the community, whether it's even our own family members. Paul is encouraging us that when we see somebody in need, especially within the household of God, that we would stoop down and reach out. I struggle with that. I immediately have to go to the Lord's Supper. I immediately have to go to what does it really look for an in, look like for an individual to stoop down and to reach out. I can't tell you how many times I've combed through the pages of the Bible. I can't tell you how many times I've read it from cover to cover, and I am still amazed at the fact that God stooped down. That God reached out. That Jesus being the very nature of God, every bit God if he were just God, but Jesus being a man just like me, every bit of man if he were just a man, that this God, that this Jesus reached out, he stooped down to you and me. There is absolutely nothing good about me. I could not stand before God and give him a list of ten great qualities why he would send Jesus Christ to die on a cross for me. I have absolutely no claim to salvation whatsoever. I have no bragging right to the grace and the mercy of God. And the problem was, is that the legalist and the religious folks of Jesus' day and Paul's day thought they deserved salvation. We've been going through religion for several weeks now. What religion is, is that you have this angry God. And that somehow we have to make amends with God. That somehow we must make things right between me and him. That there must be a list of do's and don'ts. I have to jump through the hoops. There must be some course of action that I can take to get before this hostile, angry God and appease him. That's religion. And religion will, ever, will always lead us to a road that ends with a dead end. There's something lacking. There's something missing. I know that when I put my good deeds on one side of the scale and I put my bad deeds on the other side of the scale, that the bad side is always going to not just creep down, On my best day, I can't load up the good things about David Lemoyne and stack up the bad things about David Lemoyne and step back and got it going on today now, God. You and I are right today. That's the big lie of religion. The truth is that we can't come to we don't have the character 
We don't have the qualities. We don't have what it takes to come to God. And that's why God, through his son, Jesus Christ, had to stoop way down. With me, he had to rip the manhole covers off. And he had to crawl down that ladder and get down there where all the rats everything that's ugly and nasty crawling around. That's, that's what he had to do with me. I'm going to take a guess. I think that's what he's got to do with a whole lot of other people as well. But it's a choice. And this principle holds true that it's a choice for us to love God. It's a choice for us to embrace God. It's a choice for us to be broken over the cross and to be humble and to be receptive to this amazing grace of love, this amazing grace of totally and utter forgiveness of every thought, every deed, every action, everything that we could possibly do or say or think that would be an offense to God, that at the cross, he just washes it and wipes it and cleans us and makes us whiter than snow. But it doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to go and fulfill the command or the law of Christ. That because we've been a recipient of such an amazing love, God, through Paul in turns, tells you and I that you've got a choice. And that choice is, are you going to be a lover of people? Because it just doesn't stop with me and it doesn't stop with you. It's a love that God wants to pour into our hearts and through our hearts to touch other people. We're so confused about love in today's day and age. I don't know. I'd be demoralized by love if my definition and my practice or my concept or my idea of love was what you see in the movies or you flip on the radio and you hear about love. And to me, love's something that I'd want to stay away from. I know this about love. I go by the movies and I go by the radio. Eventually it's going to end. I'm going to feel like I wasted a lot of time and effort on this. Two, I'm going to be filled with so much pain and sorrow that I'm going to be down at the bar drinking it away. At least that's what country music tells me. But love does not have a true and accurate picture when we just look at what the world has to say about love. And love is not an emotion because we know that our emotions vacillate. Now hear me on this. Treading some thin ice. I love my wife. But there's days I wake up I'm not sure I like her. More so than me. But if my commitment to my wife was based on emotions and feelings, it would have been sabotaged a long time ago. That relationship is founded upon a choice to be committed to her till death do us part. 
And that's a commitment that Christ makes to us at the cross. And that's a commitment that Christ is asking us to make to other people. I don't always wake up and feel like doing the right thing. I was studying and preparing uh, in the Manchester Library downtown on Main Street, which actually doubles as a homeless shelter from about 9 in the morning until about 4 in the afternoon. So I was reading the Bible and studying, and the homeless guys were networking, a.k.a. sharing pills and joints and other things. And I was in the middle of this crowd trying to study and read and pray. And how do you want to lead me, God? What's the message you want me to share uh, with myself and with the people? And there was a lady that sat down right behind me because I try to find the, the quiet place. I get in the corner and I get everything opened up and I'm set and I'm prepared. I'm in the right mindset. And then this lady comes over and she sits down at the computer behind me and she loads up her resume because she's unemployed and she's looking for work. And she starts, oh, this thing never works. How do I change this resume? She's talking to herself. Mind you, I can hear every word. I'm trying to buckle down and double down, God. I, I really need some study time here. Can you help her? I told you I wasn't that loving. I gave you a warning. This went on 10 minutes, 15 minutes. The reason why I didn't jump in sooner is because she was actually laying into the, the, the library staff at this point. She actually got up and went and pulled one back and said, you know, I hit this key and it changed the numbers, it changed the symbols. How can I, how can I undo all these mistakes I made? And she's going back and forth and this lady is really frustrated now with the library staff and she's lighting I mean, she's lighting this library staff lady up. She's been out of shape now at this point because she's reached out for help and there's nobody there to help her. And so the lady goes off and she says, you know, I'm going to go bring out another helper. And So I turn around and I said, you know, I'm thinking to myself, not that it's any of my business. I've had to listen to you for about 15, 20 minutes now. But can I make a suggestion? She said, yeah, at this point, I'm open to anything. I said, why don't you Google these FN keys? Just Google it and see if you hit one of these FN keys that change the format of your document. She goes, oh, that's a great idea. So she Googles it. She straightened it out in about five minutes. But I got to be honest with you. That was a major interruption to Dave Lemoyne's plan. I was beside myself. I've got a big family. I travel with work. I've got other responsibilities. And Pastor Doug has asked me to share this Sunday. And I really buckled down and I wanted to put my best foot forward. And wham! God puts an opportunity in my life to reach out, to stoop down, to push my schedule, to move my priorities aside, and to get involved in somebody else's life. Now, I don't share that with you to pat myself on the back because i got to be honest with you. I miss more opportunities than I take advantage of. But God, through Paul, is encouraging us to become more sensitive to the felt needs of people around us. That they are all around us. And it may be something simple to me, 
like helping somebody spruce up their resume, but for somebody that's homeless and living on a monthly check who might be a single mom with two or three or four kids, that is a major obstacle and hindrance in her life. And so Paul encourages us to be sensitive to the people around us because what we may be, be what we may perceive to be something simple and frivolous or silly or not worth our time or our effort may radically turn someone else's life upside down. It's a choice. And Paul encourages us to carpe diem, to seize the day because moments come and go. Opportunities come and pass. Aaron is celebrating his 10th birthday this year. It seems like yesterday that he was delivered, you know, that he, he came into this world and I was holding him and hugging him and he was crying and we were changing the diapers on this kid and he's 10 years old. Time has flown. I've got a limited season to express love to my children. And then they grow up and they move on, and that door may very well be closed in the future. People are sick and dying. I have one opportunity. God opens a door. I have one opportunity to get involved, to visit them in the hospital, to hold their hand, to read a passage of hope, to buy a car, to send some flowers. Time is changing. Opportunities come and go. And God doesn't want us to be a people that when we arrive to 65 and 70 and 75, that when we turn back and we look at the choices, the culmination of the decisions that we've made, that we have lived a loveless, careless And then we draw our last breath, and our last breath is not full of hope, and it's not full of love, and it's not full of anticipation of meeting our Creator, that our last breath is filled with nothing but utter regret. And Paul's encouraging the church of Galatia to be right with God. Choose to love God. Choose to love people. Seize the day. And that's why Paul says, stoop down and reach out. Today is the day to be sensitive. Today is the day to seek out to help someone. Today is the day to know what you have already known that you should be doing, but you've been procrastinating and simply choosing not to. Paul also tells us in this passage of Scripture that love is something that takes practice. Boy, I hit a nerve there. Oh, boy. It takes practice. I didn't come into this world as a loving individual. I didn't come into this world as a guy who says, hey, man, I'm really glad you got the promotion and I didn't. Man, you really did a great job at that presentation. I know that I kind of was the weak link in that presentation, but you did a great job. Let me pat you on the back. 
I'm not the kind of guy, I wasn't born as the kind of guy that gives credit to everybody else. My sinful, fallen human nature is about me. It's about David Lemoyne. Me first. I want to be the franchise player, don't you? Paul says it takes practice. In verse 4, he says, Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. I think what is absolutely amazing about God is that he has had David Lemoyne on his heart and soul before he created the foundations of the world that we now live and enjoy. That before the foundations of the earth, before I believe in the Big Bang Theory by, I believe in it. I believe God said it. Bang! It happened. And at just the right time in human history, he brought Aaron into the world. Just the right time, he brought Pastor Doug into the world. Just at the right time, he tapped Nick on the shoulder. Just at the right time, God breathed life into a human soul and brought him into this world, and he has a plan and a purpose for their lives. And this is why Paul says, make a careful exploration of who you are. See, we have an identity crisis in our country. People just don't know who they are. I was watching Fox News. Not that I always watch Fox News, but they were down there doing a story on spring break. Okay? And the report came back was this, that, you know, kids are being raised up today. There's very little responsibility. They don't have to do chores. They're not earning an allowance. You know, we've extended this thing called adolescence out to about 42, 45 years of age. So we're raising our kids with this expectation that, oh, you know, they're going to be teenagers. They're going to be in their 20s, and they can go out and sow their wild oats and later on pray for crop failure. They can go out and do whatever they want to do. They're exploring the world. They're trying to find out or figure out who they are. Sounds good, doesn't it? This is actually a bunch of garbage. Think about, think about how abusive that is. Son, I love you. I know it's best for you, but I'm going to tell you, you can just go out in the world and find yourself. Just give it a shot. Take a couple laps around the track. Live up. Learn. Explore. That's why we have an identity crisis, because we're looking for our identity in everyone and everything other than Jesus Christ. And that's what's so beautiful about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is that he solves that whole identity crisis. That when I come to the cross and I kneel before the cross and I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, that there's a new birth. For the first time, my heart really starts to beat. The blood really starts to flow. I feel alive. There's something to this. It's not magical. It's not mystical. It's a relationship. The God stooped down and he reached in and he entered in. He's taking control and he loves me and he forgives me. And it doesn't stop there, but he's got an agenda. This is how we solve the identity crisis. 
we answer three questions. Who am I in Christ? Who am I in Jesus Christ? What are those raw natural gifts, those talents, those abilities, that personality? Am I people-oriented? Am I task-oriented? How has God so knitted me together? Who am I in Jesus Christ? And then I move further along and I answer that question, who am I in the church? Because we're a body of believers. We're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're linked together. We have a relationship. We have a connection that's going to last for eternity. So who am I in the body of Christ? What are my roles? What are my responsibilities? How has God uniquely gifted me to participate in the body of Christ here at New River and encourage people to love people, to help them grow? And so I'm receiving love and I'm growing and I'm being challenged as well. And lastly, who am I in the world? Because the reality is, is when my feet hit the pavement outside of the doors, i got to live in the real world. So what's my role in the world? Am I just a financial advisor? I'm just spending eight hours a day talking about asset allocation. By the time you retire, you're going to have $3.5 million. All you got to do is put 10% of your savings into this portfolio for 20 years. Is that what my life really is boiled down to? When you distill it, what comes to the surface? I'm just a financial advisor. That's not my role in the world. My role in the world is to be an EMT. My role in the world is to go out and rub up and brush up and find people whose hearts and souls are broken and shattered by sin comes in all sizes, shapes, and colors. I know that we talk about porn a lot, but let's not stop there, and that's not the unforgivable sin. There's there's a whole lot of other sins out there. There's lust in general. Get me around a Chinese buffet, I'll show you what lust is all about. dirty pictures to get excited. Just put a rack of steamed dumplings out there. I'll sin with the worst of you, I promise you that. I'll in fact embarrass you, I'm such a big sinner. takes practice I love baseball I got a little uh, 18 month old boy he got his first bat and ball he looks like pebbles from Bam Bam with that baseball bat it's that big red plastic one it's fun until he hits the big screen but his idea of baseball is he's got this ball the hard plastic ball the size of a you know size of a grapefruit he's got his bat and he's just smacking around and he doesn't care if he hits the TV, your shins, uh, your laptop, knocks food off. The, he doesn't care. He's playing baseball. He's practicing. And then there's Benny. Benny is not 
Benny is seven years old, but he has an older brother, so he's always trying to keep up with his older brother. I'm going to tell you something. Benny wants to be one of two things. I think both of them are glorious. He either wants to be a Bible teacher or he wants to play for the Red Sox. Both of them would be glorious. But he got his first baseball card last year. I'm bragging now. He played t-ball last year. Now, Benny, he's ahead of most t-ballers. Benny's got this big wheelhouse swing. My man is going for the fence every time. He loads up. He springs through the hips. He is letting that T have it all. I mean, he is unloading on it. And the bad thing about Benny playing t-ball last year was this, is he hit most of his shots out into the outfield, and he'd take off digging because he's watched it on TV. He takes off digging, and he turns first base, and he's going to second, and the umpire says, no, 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 hold up. Got to play by the rules of the game. You got to go back to first base. What? He's practice. So he's a little better than most kids his age. Takes practice. Love takes practice. When we realize how much God truly loves us, and we recognize that every opportunity, every open door, every relationship, God is saying, This is practice. I want you to practice my love. Have you ever noticed that God puts a lot of unlovable people in your life? I just wanted to confirm that. I was hoping it wasn't just me. But God will put somebody in your life, and you'll sit down, and you'll spend some time with them, and you'll size them up. You'll feel them out. You'll ask them some questions over a cup of coffee, and you realize, boy, that guy's arrogant. He really thinks a lot of himself. He really thinks he's got it all together. Or you sit there and you spend some time with somebody and walk away from, you walk away from that uh, time with them and you say, boy, what a whiner. What a complainer. Who'd want to hang out with that person? They're just dragging me down. Have you ever noticed that God puts unlovable people into your life and when you really stop and think about it, they're a mirror to your own heart and soul. And see, we think we're helping them. We think we're practicing, that we're giving love, that we're doing something wonderful, and that God's going to pat us on the back and be pleased about it. But what he's really saying is, no, 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 no. I'm giving you a glimpse into your own heart and soul. You think they're unlovable? So it's practice. That's the beautiful thing about church. This should be a safe, welcoming environment of mutual love, mutual respect, give and take, service, receive service. It's back and forth. That's why Paul says, hey, don't ever think too much of yourself. And when you're out there helping somebody, when you're loving on them, when you're assisting them, hey, by the end of the day, by 5 o'clock somewhere, it could be your time. And that's why Paul says it takes practice in a loving, 
safe community that honors God, that respects God, that obeys God, and wants to honor and respect and love one another. And that was a central message that Paul was saying to the church in Galatia, is I'm trying to bring you back. I'm trying to bring you back to two laws. I want you to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And likewise, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. If you can do these two things, you have religion licked. Because this is what it boils down to. Lastly, Paul encourages us to don't trade our lives today for temporary things. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. What a person plants, he will harvest. I know we're short on time, so I'm just going to talk about two things regarding the harvest. One, we always harvest much later than we sow, which is a real problem in an instant gratification society because we do good we're diligent, we're disciplined, and we look for the immediate harvest, and it's not there. And then we compare ourselves to other people, and we get impatient. Or we get envious because somebody else's harvest is coming, and it's so big, and we're so lacking and needy. And then we ask ourselves, is it really worth the time and the effort? Look around. Look at the lost people. Look at the homes they live in. Look at the cars they drive. Look at the lifestyles. Look where they vacation. It is so easy to become envious and jealous and say, does this thing called Christianity really make sense? They don't know God. They don't love God. They've got everything. I love God. I know God. I serve God. so Paul gives us a word of caution. Don't grow weary. Don't faint. Be diligent. Be disciplined. So, 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 so. And in due time, down the road, it could be days, it could be months, it could be years, it could be decades. But down the line, there's going to be a harvest. And here's the last principle that harvest will always be greater than what you sow. It's a promise. God loves you and me so much that he gave us a predictable principle that we can either crash our lives on by sowing to the sinful nature, or we can leverage that principle to our own benefit and to the benefit of our family and our friends and our communities and our churches. He laid the principle out, and he says you will either crash on it or you will leverage it for what is in your best interest in the confines of a relationship with God. And so in closing this morning, I want to encourage you and I want to encourage myself not to grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary. Don't be fatigued. Do good. Sow that love. Sow that peace. Sow that gentleness. Sow that kindness. Sow that self-control. You name it. Sow that righteousness. Sow that word of God. Sow that message of hope. Share it. Don't be ashamed. Go out and just sow it. Scatter it everywhere. If God opens up the opportunity, stoop down, reach in, and sow it.
you've given us so much here at New River. We're so grateful and thankful that we already have love. We already have mutual respect. We're already doing many of the things that Paul has exhorted us to do and the things that you've asked us to do. But God, there's room to grow. There's opportunities every day, God. We know that because people are lost and they're broken and they're hurting and they're hopeless, we know, God, that there's still time and there's still a place and there's still an opportunity for us to go out and share your love and to practice your love. And we just pray, oh God, that we would take these things to heart, that we would push our agendas, our schedules, our personalities, all those things that serve as obstacles and hindrance to you, we pray, God, that you would subdue those in our lives. That we would just simply freely share the good news. That Jesus is alive. That Jesus is the great lover of your soul. That Jesus will forgive you. That we'll that Jesus will renew your mind and your heart and your soul. And he will bring many good things into your life by simply trusting him and obeying him. We pray these things in the precious name of God.